0: Hello, and welcome to the Chair's Corner from the Department of Medicine at the University of North Carolina. Today's episode is part of our series focused on food allergy, and we'll be discussing an interesting allergy called alpha-gal. We welcome Dr. Scott Cummins, who is an Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Rheumatology, Allergy, Immunology. Dr. Cummins is an allergist and immunologist and sees patients in our allergy and immunology clinic. Dr. Scott Cummins is one of the world's leading experts in this field of alpha-gal and has helped many patients who have this condition and is actively investigating the cause of this allergy in his laboratory. Welcome, Dr. Cummins.
1: I'm excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation.
0: So what on earth is this word alpha-gal and what does that describe?
1: So alpha-gal is a carbohydrate or sugar that has two galactose sugars linked in an alpha three linkage.
0: Okay, you lost me. Say that to me in lay-speak, please.
1: So there are two uh, galactose sugars that are in line with each other in a certain um, configuration in space that chemists call an alpha configuration. And the technical name is this galactose alpha-1,3 galactose. So we call that alpha-gal for short.
0: On the surface of so many proteins, probably all proteins, there are carbohydrate moieties of one kind or the other, and galactose is one of those. Correct. Sialic acid would be another, but there are several sugars that coat proteins, and what you're describing then is a sugar, a galactose. That is present on some proteins.
1: Absolutely. One of the fascinating things about this alpha-gal sugar is that as humans, we don't have alpha-gal and many sugars are ubiquitous. However, alpha-gal is different in the sense that non-primate mammals, so cows or sheep or pigs, cats, dogs, all have alpha-gal. As humans, We actually don't have that sugar, but we make an immune response to it.
0: So that would be one of the potential reasons why we as humans, if we eat foods that are derived from the species you just described, we could potentially develop a reaction
1: to it. That's true.
0: And like in so many allergies and autoimmune diseases, why most people can eat these kinds of uh, animal uh, products, some individuals become reactive to it. Is that right?
1: That is correct. And that is what the focus of my research and clinic is largely centered upon.
0: Why some people suddenly react to meat.
1: Exactly. Right.
0: So tell us a little bit about the history of how alpha-gal allergy was discovered and uh, what was your role in that discovery process?
1: So I think it's a fascinating history and actually starts in the oncology or cancer world. In fact, there's some indication that when Martha Stewart went to prison, it involved alpha-gal. So what happened is was like a
0: story right then and there. We should get Martha Stewart to help us.
1: Yes. Her role in this essentially was that a company creating a cancer drug produced it in a mouse cell line. And these mouse cells, as we discussed earlier, that would be one of the species that makes alpha-gal. So these mouse cells decorated this cancer drug with their alpha-gal sugar. And so when this therapeutic was given to people who were allergic to alpha-gal. They reacted and reacted in a very serious way, uh, life-threatening, anaphylactic-type reactions. And the company began to find that this was happening throughout the Southeast in the U.S., but not in California or New York. In fact, UNC was one of the early sites that identified that their patients who were receiving this medication were reacting on the order of one in five or one in four on first infusion of this medication.
0: One in five or one or four patients.
1: Correct. So nearly a quarter of them were reacting the first time they were getting this medication. And when I say reacting, I mean hives, itching, loss of blood pressure, true kind of anaphylaxis. And... The company began to know that this was happening in a certain geographic region, but not in others. And the story goes that perhaps they weren't as forthcoming with some of this data, but eventually they did have to tell the FDA. And allegedly, Martha's stockbroker found out that the company was moving towards telling the FDA her stock was sold at the appropriate time. So that is the cancer side of alpha-gal. Essentially, the way the story goes is that these patients were reacting because they had developed an allergic response to alpha-gal. So my role, that was work that was done by Dr. Platts Mills' lab at, at the University of Virginia, where I was training as an allergy and immunology fellow. When I joined the lab, they had just published this work. But what we were seeing in the clinic was patients who were telling us, hey, doc, I think I'm allergic to beef or pork or lamb, but it doesn't happen every time, and it happens in a delayed way. And this sort of flew in the face of conventional food allergy at that point. But because we had this knowledge of the distribution of alpha-gal, being that it's in these lower mammals, and we had a test because Dr. Platts-Mills had just published this work with the cancer therapeutic, we thought, maybe we should run their serum sample for this alpha-gal allergy. And sure enough, that opened the Pandora's box. So in 2009, we then published 24 cases of patients who reported that they had delayed responses, allergic responses, to beef, pork, or lamb.
0: So prior to that, somebody who would have thought they were having an allergic response to a slice of beef would have thought that they were uh, nutty. They're...
1: Absolutely. In fact, it's an excellent point because prior to that, allergic reactions to beef were almost case reportable in every instance. There's actually a publication of, of 12 patients who had a beef allergy from the early 1980s. And there really just wasn't much else in the literature related to red meat and allergic responses to it.
0: How does the story of tick bite then get admixed with what you found from these patients?
1: So, at the time, we were fascinated by the idea that there was a delayed allergic response, but we had no understanding or indication why these patients these were largely adults safely eaten beef 40 or 50 years and all of a sudden developing an allergic response so we began to try to think what what was it about the perhaps the geography of the southeast or what was it about these patients that might have some common history to give us a clue and we tried lots of different things but ultimately it came down to two observations one was a map the map of Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. So the incidence, if you look at the CDC maps for Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, the incidence of that really played uh, quite well, almost overlaid with the map of our allergic responses to beef in an alpha-gal allergy type of way. And then secondly was one of the technicians in our lab at the time had been hiking, and um, he got several tick bites, and developed a new onset allergy to beef. So then what we, a
0: chance moment in time! Sorry yeah, for the guy.
1: Indeed, and and so it does it does show you that serendipity it favors the prepared mind. So here we are, just investigating this, and absolutely stumbled upon the idea that tick bites perhaps could be doing this. So then we essentially called back our patients that we'd been enrolling in our meat allergy study, um, and this was largely my role, and began to ask them questions related to their tick bite history, exposure, settings where they were, and began to sort of piece the puzzle together.
0: How do you know it's a tick bite? What's the evidence that it's a tick bite?
1: So we're actively working on this because you bring up an excellent point. If you're going in the woods, how do we know that it's just a tick or not poison ivy or a mosquito or that type of thing? And ultimately we're we're working on a mouse model where we can inject tick extract into a certain type of mouse and these mice produce the same allergic response to alpha-gal that our patients do. And that so far has been the best indication
0: So why does a person with alpha-gal allergy then experience a reaction several hours after eating red meat instead of like a peanut allergy, which can happen immediately?
1: So I think there's two main answers to that, the first of which is that alpha-gal is a sugar. And you mentioned peanuts. So much of what we know about allergy in general centers on proteins. So part of this is we believe that the response to the sugar is in some ways a weaker response than we might see for proteins. And secondly, the most severe reactions that we have seen or heard about happen with fattier forms of meat. And the digestion of fat is very different from the way that sugars or proteins are absorbed. That, the digestion of fat is a process that takes three to four hours to deliver fat to the bloodstream
0: and you think that may participate in in some of the delayed reaction
1: we we think exactly that particularly the absorption of fat and the time that it takes for that to occur begins to explain the delay so we've we've done some challenges where we bring our patient volunteers in and feed them sausage and when we do that we can find that there the appearance of alpha-gal in the bloodstream is actually delayed three or four hours. So there's something about the processing of meat, and we think fat makes a good candidate, that begins to explain the delay.
0: So it's a need for the digestion of the meat that then participates in triggering this process.
1: Yeah, we think that's true. And it's supported by the idea that when these cancer patients were getting their their um, therapeutic monoclonal.
0: They were getting it by vein. That's right. So and they the would get it right happened right, right, away. right away. Okay. This whole concept of a delayed reaction implies, as you have nicely described, a delay or some sort of uh, alteration in digestion. And in your mind's eye, this is associated with fat absorption. How does that actually work? Walk me through. Food goes uh, into your mouth, down the esophagus, into the stomach, lots of acid in the stomach. Food starts to digest, goes into the small intestine, gets modified, large intestine, and then out. Where's the problem? Where's the digestion that is slowed up? It must be in a cellular mechanism.
1: I think you're correct that the cellular mechanism is important here. So when it comes to fat absorption, fat essentially has to be broken down and digested. We think of it almost as a, as a trimer. So three fat molecules, so to speak, are hooked together generally those three molecules have to be separated. This is where the word triglyceride comes from, right? So you have to then break these three fat molecules apart so that they become singular. And then they are essentially reshaped into a sphere. And this sphere then gets pulled across the intestine, for lack of a better way to think about it, and enters into the lymphatics. So these are our immune response, right, our lymphatics that move our immune cells around for, to our lymph nodes. Well, fat, as it gets absorbed through the digestive process, actually ends up in the lymphatics that encirculate our intestines. So fat then moves through the lymphatics and ultimately empties into the thoracic duct, which is a lymphatic opening in our neck. So this whole process takes three-ish hours, and it really fits with the reactions when they're delayed.
0: So that's one explanation. You can imagine there could be other reasons for a delay as well. That's a conjecture. Absolutely, a, But a fun conjecture. What is that process? What is the reaction that patients get 3 or 4 hours later what does it feel like
1: so their reactions often start with uh, itching particularly the palms and soles so we'll have patients tell us uh, repeatedly that their their hands begin to itch and they turn red and then they'll often get hives systemic hives throughout their all over their skin and then the process seems to snowball so they'll they, it starts with skin and itching and hives and redness perhaps swelling and then they'll often tell us that they feel lightheaded so we think their their blood pressure is dropping and often there is a, a gastrointestinal component to this as well so really severe abdominal cramping perhaps diarrhea nausea vomiting all the hallmarks of an anaphylactic allergic reaction that you might see with a child who has a milk, egg, or peanut allergy.
0: Unhappily, then, you can imagine somebody who would have a a burger for dinner or a steak for dinner and would think everything was fine and go to bed, and what would wake them up?
1: Typically, the itching. So you, you have described a very prototypical allergic reaction for the alpha-gal allergy, which is certainly very different than the, the typical allergic response. But this idea that, that patients experience allergic reactions after midnight is really in keeping with the alpha-gal allergy, and unlike most other food allergies.
0: People are then woken up out of sleep, itching away. What, what are they supposed to do?
1: Well, we tell folks, take Benadryl if you have it. If you had an epi- an EpiPen or an epinephrine auto-injector, then that would be a convenient time to use it. But most people don't happen to have an auto-injector at home. So we ask them to take antihistamine, such as Benadryl, because most folks will have something along those lines, and then begin to activate the emergency response cascade, whether that's calling 911 or if you're close enough and you have someone, you can get to the emergency department quickly.
0: So this really is a let's go to the emergency room kind of
1: moment. It is, in large part because we have no idea at that moment when you wake up with hives and itching, is this going to progress and become a life-threatening allergic response or is this going to evolve and I'm going to get a little bit of GI upset, but I'm otherwise going to be fine.
0: For the first time this happened to a patient, it would be really a scary phenomenon. You'd have no clue what was uh, amiss because more than likely you'd think it was just, oh, I ate something that doesn't agree with me and now I'm not feeling
1: well. Absolutely. I have countless patients who have recalled passing out in the bathroom at midnight, 1 a.m. at their initial allergic reaction.
0: Let's come back to that tick for a moment again. Tick bites are common for anybody who's outside. If, if you like to garden, if you like to hike, if you like to be outside in the southeastern portion of the United States, your chances of getting a tick bite are pretty large. So let's now say somebody's gotten a tick bite um, and they've listened to this podcast. They're now going to start worrying that that tick is going to induce an alpha cal- allergy. How long after being bitten by a tick do you think? It would take for somebody to figure out they may be having a problem.
1: We think it takes on the order of four to six weeks. And some of that is, as you know, the immune response takes time. But then you have to eat the right meal in a time period after you've developed that immune response. And so, in general, this is, I think, on the month-ish side
0: a month or 6 weeks and the person of course has no clue that they've been bitten by a tick would you have liked them to have kept the tick if they had uh, if they could have
1: it's a great thought and we are hopeful that we're going to be able to have some research goals around the actual tick so at the moment i would say i don't have a particular thing for us to do with the tick, but we are in discussions, so stay tuned.
0: Stay tuned for tick harvesting. So now, the patient comes to the emergency room or they're worried about this uh, process. Uh, what kind of tests do you do? How do you prove that the person has an alpha-gal allergy?
1: Right. So in, in allergy land, the proof is twofold. One is the appropriate clinical history. So does their story fit? And then secondly, it's a positive blood test. So that same blood test that we talked about earlier related to the cancer drug and and defining those patients who were allergic to alpha-gal, that's actually the same test that we use for our patients who've developed the red meat allergy.
0: So the reason then why somebody would want to be tested and have this blood test is that it would confirm whether or not they had this allergy. Absolutely. How good is the test?
1: The test is quite sensitive.
0: That means it picks up a positive reaction in lots of folks. The question is, if it's positive, does that mean you have the allergy? How specific is this test?
1: It is not very specific. So the answer is nuanced because this is different for us in Chapel Hill than it would be in Denver, Colorado in large part because the geography matters when it comes to tick bites. But our, our data indicate that the test is not as specific as we want to be, and we are working to try to create a better test. It's an excellent screening test.
0: So, that, lists, in other words, a positive test should make one think, at least as a patient, that one could have an alpha-gal allergy, but it doesn't prove it because, in fact, there are individuals, in other words, who are positive in this test who can eat all the meat they want and have no problems.
1: That's absolutely true. And this is a nuance that we have in allergy land in general. So if we took 100 kids and tested them all for this for peanut allergy, 10 would be positive. Of those 10, 1 would truly be allergic to peanuts. So, we have a similar phenomenon when it comes to the alpha-gal test. I think in some ways it's a marker for tick bites um, and perhaps other bites as well, but only a, a small fraction of people who test positive truly develop allergic responses after eating mammalian meat.
0: It is then really the symptoms, the story that a person tells you about the Allergy symptoms that are more indicative of the allergy than is the test.
1: Correct. And we don't, and because of that, we don't advocate getting tested just because you've had a tick bite.
0: You could be positive and it mean nothing. Absolutely. Now, for those of us who like red meat, especially uh, the males in my family, the idea of no longer being able to eat red meat would be devastating. Can you get desensitized?
1: You, at the moment, no. We're working on that. But the good they news— They would tell
0: you to work faster.
1: <laughs> and the good news, however, is that in many cases, we don't find this is a lifelong immune response— it seems it to it may go away it may go away it appears in many patients to be transient so they have 18 24 months without red meat and then we begin to follow their blood test level which is another reason to actually have the blood test done and it it tr- typically trends down over time and when appropriate we begin to reintroduce red meat
0: How do you then counsel somebody who has this allergy? What do you tell them to do? What do you tell them to avoid?
1: So initially, we ask people to strictly avoid red meat, so beef, pork, lamb. But this would include venison and bison, um, buffalo, anything essentially that has hooves and, and walks on four legs, we ask them to avoid. They can certainly eat chicken, turkey, and fish, but we often leave dairy in their diet if they can do okay with it, if they can tolerate it. Ice cream, however, ha- comes up again and again as something that contains a fair amount of, of milk fat, and as we, as we talked about earlier, I worry a lot about the fat content of things. So ice cream is one that after red meat, we typically find if people are still having reactions, it it often involves dairy and particularly ice cream, and we'll ask them to remove ice cream from their diet.
0: Oh, my goodness. You can't eat red meat. You can't eat ice cream, and you're stuck on vegetables forever. Is that what you're gently trying to suggest?
1: Well, hopefully it's not a forever thing.
0: But it could be. It could be. How do you tell, then, patients who go out to eat, uh, how do they know that uh, they're not going to have some red meat product slipped in, even in a sauce?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, because initially, we would tell people to have some card that explained alpha-gal allergy, and I think that was really unfair to waiters and waitresses because no one really knows much about alpha gal in the restaurant community. So we have changed our advice and we really ask patients to lead with I'm allergic to beef, pork, lamb because chefs and and wait staff understand that.
0: They don't understand I'm allergic to alpha gal and the person says, "Yes, sure, thanks."
1: <laughs> Shockingly <laughs> yes. So the typically people do find in their local community places that they can eat where they will be able to prepare their foods either separately or without beef or pork fat. In the South, uh, we love vegetables that contain a ham hock or are supplemented with lard. And we have to be careful about those dishes as That's well. It's not healthy
0: for you in any case, so it's <laughs> probably good to avoid. There are a number of pharmaceutical agents or bio-derived uh, uh, devices, heart valves, for example. Heparin, the drug that is used uh, uh, in patients who have blood clots, for example. Heparin is derived from, uh, from the animals you're describing. Uh, heart valves can, to a certain extent, some of them are pork-derived valves. What about those people?
1: Right. So it's a great question and one that we were not necessarily thinking about in 2009 when we thought this was simply a food allergy. But we, as you indicate, we have been aware of and and seen patients who've had anaphylaxis either to heparin, particularly heparin that is used to dissolve clots or to anticoagulate someone, thin their blood during an operation. So a little different than the heparin that you might get just to prevent your DVT or um, blood clot from being immobile. But this is massive doses of heparin that are given intraoperatively. And we have seen folks that have had allergic responses. They're alpha-gal allergic, and, and they have anaphylaxis from heparin. And we have published a series of three cases of patients who developed anaphylaxis after having a pig valve put in their heart.
0: There are abundant comments on the internet about meat allergy. Uh, And there are all sorts of funny and perhaps misleading comments. It's only one kind of tick. Uh, It's only the Lone Star tick. Uh, there are some sources of red meat that are safer than others. There, there, It's always an anaphylactic reaction. Help us dispel some of what is out there.
1: Right. So we were probably guilty of advancing this idea that Lone Star ticks were the only cause. Are
0: you the culprit?
1: I probably share some blame in this. <laughs> So initially that was because we were describing this in the Southeast, and it really fit with the distribution of the Lone Star tick. And I do maintain that in the South and in the East, Long Island for instance as well, I think most of these allergic responses are due to the Lone Star tick. But that doesn't account for problems that we're having in Australia, people that we know about in southern Sweden and in Europe, where they have this same allergy, but they don't have the lone star tick. So one of the myths, as you uh, describe, is that lone star ticks are the only cause, and that's clearly not true. Secondly, we do hear from some folks that they can eat certain kinds of beef, so cows that are grass-fed or free-range or organic. At the end of the day, a cow is a cow. A cow cow is a cow, (laughs) yeah. And they all make alpha-gal. Right. And perhaps there are some cuts of meat that, as they're leaner, they may create less of a risk for a reaction. But at the end of the day, I'm convinced that if you eat enough of an organic, grass-fed, free-range cow and you have the alpha-gal allergy, you're going to have a reaction.
0: And those reactions can be severe enough that it wouldn't be worth that
1: experiment. Not in my mind. Not in your mind.
0: So what kind of research are you doing right now? Where is this field going?
1: Right. So we have several projects. But the most important, I think, at the moment is to define what it is about the tick that creates a risk or causes this allergy. And there's two main reasons, I think, for that. One is because it's immunologically fascinating and it's a paradigm-changing type of thing. We in the allergy field have seen a massive rise in allergic eczema, asthma, eosinophilic esophagitis. Allergic disease is on the rise, and this is another one of those types of, of entities. And we really need to understand what it is about the tick that creates this risk. I think the second part of this is you alluded to desensitization earlier. Listen, we, we treat people that are allergic to bee venom or wasp venom with allergy shots to prevent future reactions. So if we can define what it is from the tick that causes this, then I believe that we can begin to do allergy shots using that protein or salivary component from the tick.
0: To desensitize a person. Correct. Thank you, uh, Dr. Cummins, for all of this uh, wonderful information. My pleasure. Thanks so much to our listeners for tuning in. Next week, we'll talk some more about alpha-gal with Dr. Cummins and with one of his patients, and we'll get to hear about this individual's experience with having alpha-gal. If you enjoy this series, you can subscribe to The Chairs Corner on iTunes or like us on Facebook. Thanks so much.